Hello and welcome to the No Walls podcast. My name is Preston and I'm here once again with Taylor Otterbein. And um, today I want to talk about uh, something that, that piqued my interest recently. I was reading a book called The Last Arrow by Errol McManus. Great book. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And he was talking about um, how he was going over to another country. And on the way there, they ask for like your passport and stuff and what they call is your proof of life. Right, like that, like, and he said it was the first time anyone had ever asked him to prove that he's alive. And so he started asking, like, you know, metaphorically outside of the passport and stuff, like, what are his proofs of life? When you look at his life, how do you know that he's living and not existing? And so he started thinking, like, is it my car? Like, is it my um, social security number? Like, is it like, what are these things that are my proof of life? And it, I, I, it just kind of led me to, to, think about that for the, for the last couple of weeks. Like I was like, this would be a really neat conversation to have. Um, and so one of the things that he, he says in that chapter is he talks about how like a lot of times we're actually not choosing between life and death. We're choosing between existence and death. And so I wanted to talk, like have a conversation about what does it mean to live and what does it mean to have like proofs of life? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great conversation. Um, I love the topic. The idea that like <clears throat> people just exist is I think sometimes and not a concept that we really have conversations about. I remember growing up, like, I don't know that I ever, I didn't really have a lot of conversations on, like, purpose and, and calling or, um, like, shooting for greatness. That just wasn't really part of the dialogue that I had growing up as a kid in my home and stuff. And so now that I've been a student pastor for, like, 10-plus years, which is crazy to me, I started doing this thing when I was 19. I'm 30 now. <coughs> Um, what I've come to realize is that's the norm. Yeah. The norm isn't teaching people to dream. It's, it's just kind of doing. It's like so many of the things we do in our life, we have kind of had just constructed for us. And so we just like live in those narratives. Like couldn't really teach people to critically think or ask questions or even like be introspective at all. Like <clears throat> if you were to ask somebody, what do you think is um something that's uniquely you mm. i think the majority of people would look like they ran straight into a brick wall yeah because they've never processed that there was something individually about them that was unique <clears throat> that there's something like intangible in them that not everybody else has and when i think we talk about life i think that's what winds up happening is i think because we kind of live in a culture that just pushes and moves and does we don't really have time for dreaming. And so the idea that we aren't choosing between life and death, we're choosing between existence and death mm -hmm. is so unbelievably convicting. Yeah. Like it's terrifying. It's the scariest thing in the world, especially because I've seen it. Like yeah. I know that that's what's happening. That's not even like, I'm a doubt in my mind. I don't, I know most people that I grew up around didn't have a thing they lived for. Yeah. And when I have conversations with people, I'm increasingly surprised at how little of their life brings them passion. Yeah. Like they get up because they have to, not because they want to. Mm -hmm. They go to work because they have to, not because they want to. They parent because they have to, not because they want to. And I think life is so much more brighter and fuller and colorful than just living the systematized routine. It's like, well... Bills got to be paid, da da da. I, mean, I get all that. I understand that's true. It's factual. But like, I've been poor for a long time mm -hmm. in my life. Like the first six years of marriage, we had nothing, and I had more joy in those six years than most people I knew. Yeah. 
because I was doing things that I felt like I was born to do, built to do, called to do. And even in the worst, most difficult times, I could find joy consistently. Meanwhile, I know people that make five times the amount of money I do and they hate every second of life. Yeah. I think it's because they're existing, not living. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Did did you have a did you have a moment where you feel like you chose like living over existing? Like was there was there a, like a, a question that was asked to you or like there was like a specific moment or do you think that it was uh like how did that happen? Yeah, I think there's been I think there's been a few. Um the first one that comes to mind is like I remember when I was when I was nineteen I decided I was going to go to like Bible school because like I made my mind up. Like, I'm going to do the ministry thing. I feel like I'm kind of called to do this. I think God put me on earth to do this. And I wasn't even like super sure of how to do it. I just knew like it was the only thing that I couldn't stop thinking about, like obsessed about it. I was obsessed with the church. I was obsessed with the way it ran. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make something beautiful. Like there, I was, I was enraged when it's done poorly. And so like it just, it was different and I couldn't get off my mind. I, I wanted to be at the church every second I possibly could. Uh, it's so weird because that's not how I was raised or around. It was just such a unique thing. And I remember telling my grandma <clears throat> that I was going to go to do Bible school. And I remember her telling me that she would pay for college if I would just go to college instead of it. <laughs> but it wouldn't give me a dime for Bible school. So like I, I was 19 years old having to choose between whether or not I go to Bible school that I'm not sure I can pay for and I have to figure out how to pay for it. Meanwhile, like I'm, I'm like just married and all these different things. Or go the easier route, go to, go to school and see if I can pull that off. Like I always thought being a lawyer would be fun because I love to argue. And so it's yeah. like, I actually had like an either or moment and I, I chose ministry yeah. and I mean, I'm 30 now and I'm so thankful that I chose ministry and ministry hasn't always been easy. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way and it have created a ton of chaos in my life. But all of those sucky moments pale in comparison to the beautiful ones. Yeah all the times where it's hard where you get hurt by people or you hurt people by accident or even intentionally, or it's not what it's supposed to be. Um, or it's not working at the rate you want or any number of things that make it difficult. When, when the people you believe in don't rise to the occasion, when the relationships are supposed to be forever, get fragmented because whatever reason, when people hurt you and the cost of doing life that closely with people brings pain, it is so unbelievably worth the beauty and the joy of seeing someone realize who they've been meant to be. Yeah. When the light bulb clicks and you can see in somebody's eyes that they really are deeply and profoundly loved, known and cared for by the King of the universe. Mm -hmm. When you can see it shift that all of the negative narratives and soundtracks and patterns that life created for them no longer have to be true. Yeah. When they realize the thing that they believe was a rule was always supposed to be the exception. When they, when they step into things that they think is just a normal everyday, I'm going to serve because I'm supposed to, and they find what God called them to do in the process. Yeah. When they get in church and community, they find safety and they find relationships and become better husbands and better moms and better dads and better wives. And, and they start new businesses because of the hope and the excitement they found inside of a community of believers. Like all of that, nah, dog, that's worth every single moment. Yeah. of every heartache, of every failure, of every mistake, it's worth it to see people fully realize who God's called them to be. And so for me, I remember choosing in that moment, I was like, I could do what's easy, mm-hmm. but I could look at my grandma's life and I knew she was like, you know, she's a paralegal and I don't want to be like her. Yeah. 
and I'd watch my mom work odd job after odd job after odd job trying to raise three boys, and I knew that that life sucked. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, well, just doing things to get by is not the kind of life I want to live. I want to go do something that at least keeps me alive. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how I landed on, on the ministry concept. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I, I've noticed when I talk to a lot of people that seem to be filled with purpose, there is like, there are moments like that. Like, I'm sure there was more than one moment where you had to choose what was hard over what would have been easy but like what was hard and full of purpose over what was easy do you think there's like a tie between like purpose and sacrifice who yeah so i absolutely do i think i think the degree to which you love something is directly correlated to how much you're willing to sacrifice for it Mm. You know I love my kids because I will cut you. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't hesitate a second for it. Mm-hmm. If it's between you and my kids, I'm taking you out. Yeah. And, like, I hope God can forgive me. And if he can't, it is what it is. I'm choosing my kiddos. Yeah. Like, I'm, like I, I, I'll sacrifice everything for my kids. Like, you know I love my wife because, like, I will cancel whatever plans we have if it means loving her well now. Yeah. Like, that's where my head's at. You know I love my church because I will take – Little pay, no pay. I mean, I I I was bivocational in church for a decade. Yeah. Before I ever came on staff at a church to get a, t- a dime for them. Yeah. I was waiting tables till one a.m. in the morning so that I could do the thing I felt like God called me to do. I promise you, waiting tables sucked. That was yeah. not fun. Three kiddos, bro, <laughs> under three. That was a nightmare. But I knew it wasn't going to be forever, and it was so that I could do the thing that brought me the joy that kept me alive. Yeah. I was a better husband because I was called to do ministry. And I did these things on the side so I could do the thing I felt like I was put on earth to do. Like, absolutely, bro. Like, I, I think I think the rate at which you're willing to sacrifice for a thing directly correlates to how much you love it. I will do whatever it takes to love my wife well, to love my kids well, and most importantly, to love my Jesus well. Yeah. Like, they are, and everything is the Grand Canyon below that. Yeah. So I will skip birthday parties so that I can have family Sabbath day with my family, so that they yeah. know they matter most to me. Like I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I gotta do to keep the people that matter most to me. And I think in your life, you will find out if you have purpose about a thing, whether or not you're sacrificed for it. Mm. You know how you know you hate your job? Mm. You look for every excuse to leave it. Yep. <laughs> Got a cold today. I'm calling in. It's because you hate your job. You're not called to that. Yeah. Oh, no, so I'm in my business. Like, okay, cool, cool, cool. But like every day you complain about it. Yeah. Six months since you had something good to say about it. Yeah. I don't know. Ah, uh, I, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm looking for an excuse to gather this relationship. You love her? Hmm. No, you couldn't stick in when it was hard. First time some friction happened, you bailed? No, no, no. You, you didn't love that person. I, I, I will always say, and it may be a hot take, and, you know, you can disagree with me and anyone listening, you know, that's the beauty of this is we don't have to be on the same page always yeah. but i know what matters to you by what you're willing to pay the price for yeah your ability to sacrifice directly correlates to what you love and i think you know you found something you were called to you know you found purpose you know you found your proof of life <laughs> based off of how much will you sacrifice for that what yeah. will you set aside for that thing yeah and for me i will set everything in my life aside aside from my wife and my kids for the call of god on my life yeah it goes Jesus, it goes my wife, it goes my kids, it goes my church. Yep. And there is a massive gap between that fourth thing and everything else in my life. Yeah. That's good. How did you how did uh how did you land on those things? 
getting them wrong a lot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're listening to like, like I'm saying things now that like, I've like, I mean, it really did take me, I mean, it took me a while to figure out. I mean, early on in my marriage, Vita asked me, how do I build the prioritization of my family? Like, how do I, like, what, what are the, the order of important things in my life? It would have been, you know, Jesus at the top and it would have been ministry, my kids, my wife. And that would have, that was probably my, that was probably my rankings of things that matter to me in my life for like the first four and a half years. Mm. And it was hell. <laughs> like it was a nightmare because I, I just, I, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I was young. At first I was 19 years old. So yeah. like it's, I mean, I don't want to shortchange what people can do at their age. It's just very hard to be able to do ministry, even semi-successful, lead anybody when you're that young. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying it can't be done. It just means like you need a lot of help, a lot of guidance, a lot of wisdom. And I had very little of it. And I wasn't listening to the ones that I did have. Mm. <laughs> and it was creating all kinds of chaos. And about year four and a half, five of my marriage, I started realizing like it was just so out of whack. Like I was living like for ministry instead of like being who I was called to be. Mm. And so while I know that I was called to do the thing, I still had the the prioritizations out of whack. What I found out, was when it got in when when the order's right, everything's better. Yeah. Who want to have time with my God, my King, my Savior? Well, it makes me a better husband. Yeah. Well, when I'm a good husband to my wife, what that also winds up doing, it starts making me a much better father. Yeah. Because now we're on the same page and we're good. So they see a beautiful example of what it means to see dad love mom, mom love dad. When I'm good to my kids, well, guess what that means? My home's okay. Mm. And so when I go home and I find peace, I have the margin to do the thing God put me on earth to do. Yeah. So in those moments when it's hard, when it's difficult, I still have a safe place to go home to. I can recharge. I can refresh. My family's on mission with me, and we can do this thing that we were put on earth to do. And when that happened, it was like, you know, like, you know the movie Hercules where all the stars align mm -hmm. and then, like, the titans come? Yeah. Well, it's like that but good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if, like, the stars aligned and, like, this huge aha moment happened and everything started getting better. Like yeah. the rate at which I grew and how healthy my life became and how healthy my kids were, my marriage were shifted almost instantly. The second I finally got that order right. Um, and that's when you start realizing like the truth was, is like the most important thing in my life at that time was my job. My career yeah. wasn't my family. When I got them right though, it changed everything. Yeah. That's good. So, I mean, found it the hard way basically. Yeah. Like most things in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, uh, <coughs> It's kind of, I mean, I think this one is circumstantial, but like, do you have some like, like a barometer for like, how do I know if I'm existing or if I'm living? Do you like waking up? Mm. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, like, to be clear, like, I, like I'm not romanticizing life. Like, yeah. are you going to have bad days? Yes. Monday yeah. sucked for me. I did not want to wake up and come to work on Monday. Yeah. Just did. Monday was not a good day for me. I did not want to be here. I want to stay home, lay in my bed, and sleep. Yeah. But today's a good day. Yeah. And tomorrow will be a good day. And I have far more good than I have bad. If you lay, if you lay out, you know, 30 days of a month, it's not going to be very often that, you know, I'm not a alive on almost every one of them. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, that's not to say I want bad days. You can have a bad month. You can have a bad quarter, but they don't last forever. Yeah. Far more often than not, I like waking up. Yeah. I like going to the thing that I'm doing with my life. I like the life that I live. And I think it's a pretty good barometer. 
um, when you don't like what you're doing and you dread getting out of bed and you dread going to the places you go, you're probably existing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. So like for me before I really process like my call or like really like what it means to like have purpose in life. Like I, I went to like the, I think it would have gotten to dread, but like before that I was at like kind of like more apathy, like just life just kind of happens. Like who cares if that person's feelings get hurt? Like all our feelings get hurt. Yeah. Like you can do the thing where you kind of just like rationalize everything down to like, like nothing. It's like, well, like the the world's big. So who cares that, you know, this bad thing happened to you. And like, you kind of get in like that mindset. And like, I think whenever you're in that mode, it's kind of hard to have like empathy for other people. It was very hard for me. Oh, to that's so good. People. Um, Ted, does your needle move at all? Right. Yeah, because I'm uh, that. That's a really good clarification. It's not just dread. So, like, I mean, I wake up every morning. I don't hate my life. Yeah, but I don't love my life. Right. Once a, you're 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 existing. Yeah. Like, if your needle doesn't move. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if 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 the level at which you see life is not ever spiking at any moment throughout your week. You are existing. Yeah. If you don't have moments of joy, moments of gratitude, moments of like life that you get excited for, you are absolutely without question existing. And whether that is you wake up dreading your day or you wake up not caring about your day. Yeah. If that is the consistent feeling you would assess your day with, then you are existing. Yeah. <laughs> and I would challenge you to change that. Yeah. So we say the phrase calling a lot. And that's kind of a church terminology, I think. Yeah. I don't know that that's like as commonplace everywhere else. And I want to like demystify that. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not saying that there was a moment where I woke up and like all of heaven parted. God descended from his throne and said, Taylor, go do ministry yeah. vocationally. That's your thing. And it happened. Yeah. I chased meaning and I chased purpose and I chased life. And I didn't know that's what I was doing then. Yeah. I know that now at 30, I hated my life. I hated who I was around and I hated the product it produced. And I was doing anything I could to get out of these negative environments so I could find ones that made me feel good about me. Yeah. That made me feel good about the world. That made me feel good about the people in my life. And every person with a heartbeat in their chest should pursue that at all costs. Yeah. Like find life. Yeah. I, it might take you months. It might take you years. It might take you a while to find out what your quote unquote call is the thing, that thing I was put on earth to do, but don't stop chasing it. Right. Go find things that make you excited. Go find things that make your heart beat. Go yeah. find things that increase your heart rate for the good. Like things that you want to put your hands to that you look forward to doing. You just go look for stuff like that. Go find people you like being around yeah. for more than five minutes. Like go find someone you want to talk to, go find places that you like hanging out in. go find you a new song that makes you feel good about life. Go find you things that bring you life. And if you will chase life, you will find calling. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. That's good. That's good, man. I like that charge. I think, I think, <laughs> I think I want to end on that. Let's I think go. That's a good spot to chase end. life. Yeah. Chase life. Man, I love you, man. Thank you for having this conversation with me today. Yes, sir. Love you, brother.